When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Boom, we're on. Today's guest, we've got boxer time, mate, show. How do you, both? How are you, big man? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Yeah, nice one. Fascinating story, brother. Boxer, your whole future ahead of you. You'd get sent to prison for murder or manslaughter. Uh, manslaughter. Um, and it's kind of obviously changed your whole patterns in life. It's changed your whole life. Your dad, Clifton Mitchell, as well, who's very successful in the boxing industry. But first and foremost, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm blessed. Do you know what I mean? In in a lot of in in life in general. So yeah, I'm good. I'm good for the most part. Everything's good. Um, just still on this journey that you call life, man. Trying to find a way to make it through. Do you know what I mean? So that's just basically where I'm at at the minute. Yeah, that's all you can do now. Yeah, exactly. There's been a lot of stories written about you in the papers. You spar with the the biggest boxers on this planet, but today's about you. It's about your story, and for you, you've never. Sp- about your own story so this is the time to tell your story and get people to understand you what you're about yeah. your regrets your fuck ups your mistakes just like everybody on this planet and what you're trying to achieve now but I always go back to the start of my guests where yeah. you grew up how it all began yeah so I grew up in Derby where I still live today in a little village called Little Eaton which is my favourite place in the world like it's a little village and I absolutely love it there my grandparents live there I'm super close to but yeah so I grew up there with me my older brother, my older sister, um, and my mum. My mum and dad had separated when I was young. I don't remember them being together. Um, and then I've got another little brother from my dad who's seven years younger than me, so they must have got back for a brief period, but I don't really remember it because I was young. I think I was six or seven when my little brother was born. But yeah, so I went there. I went to um, literally in primary school. Um, and yeah, to be fair, we was definitely poor, um, but I don't think as a kid you really understand if you're rich or poor or whatever. It wasn't like struggling, like was absolutely starving, but there was definitely days where we didn't have much to eat. Um, the electric would always go out. We'd have to try and borrow five off the neighbour to put some electric cars on. My nana and granddad was an absolute godsend. Like they only lived a mile down the road, but if we ever ran out of food, they'd go to the shop and bring it for us and stuff. But I think with a, with a single mum who didn't work, she was obviously too busy raising all those kids at home on her own. It must have been really hard for her um, on benefits and whatever and raising three or four kids. It was um, it was definitely hard, but it was, like I said, it, I was 
very blessed to grow up in a little village I did. Everybody knew each other. All the kids used to go and play together. We'd walk in each other's houses. Each All the parents was like our own parents. It was just like a, a really nice community to grow up in. That was nice. Um, I moved to my dad's. So I lived with my mum till I was 10. And I moved to my dad's. I didn't have... I didn't really like living in my mum's house, to be honest. I felt like I was kind of the outcast of the family. I was quite naughty as a kid. As you get older, you realise you may be for circumstances or whatever, but as a kid, I was just quite mischievous and naughty, probably crying out for attention in the wrong ways and stuff. But yeah, I didn't really like living at my mum's, so I moved to my dad's when I was when I was going to secondary school. So I would have been either 10 or 11, I guess. Um, and he lived in a different part of Derby called Chadiston at the time. And I didn't know anybody there. Um, so he's with my step... He, he, I moved in with my dad and my stepmom, Caroline. Um... And yeah, it was it was a different. It was a change. It was it was. Um, I was used to living in a house with loads of siblings, so basically being on my own because they was adults and they was out all day working, and then at night they'd be busy and stuff. So I was basically raised myself. It was there, but it wasn't there. I kind of raised myself for most of my life, growing up from I'd say eleven to like seventeen, eighteen. Um, so yeah, I went to secondary school. I went to Ecclesbourne, which was a quite posh school you had to be in a catchment area and stuff but again I was playing up at school not really doing really naughty things just being mischievous answering back to teachers and just being a mischievous person and because it was quite a strict school I, was, I must have been suspended 10 15 times or something and in the end towards the end of the bit they just said yeah just don't come back we're not expelling you but don't come back um so yeah that was kind of my journey and I think from the last year then I just started I'd stayed in the gym I guess was that more discipline at your dad's? Did you think, or did you get away with more? No, because so because he's a man. Some some fathers think, well, he's a boy. Let just yeah. let away, but some are, are strict. Yeah, so no, it's it's a weird thing because when I lived in my mum's, I was absolutely petrified of my dad because I was naughty. So anytime he'd come, he'd be coming to give me a good hiding. Um, so but I was weirdly always wanted to be with him. So even though I was petrified of him, I always wanted to be with my dad or live with my dad's. So when I lived with him, I was still getting good hiding as a kid if I was naughty at school or naughty at home or whatever. So he was definitely more strict, but he didn't change my behavior. I didn't know how to act any different. So even though I was scared of him and I thought, well, if I behave myself, I'm not going to get in trouble. I literally, I remember thinking to myself, why can't I stay out of trouble? But I didn't know any different. I was just mischievous little shit, really, to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, my dad was definitely still strict with me, but he was very loyal to me. Do you know what I mean? So it was a weird, it was a, it was a weird, because me and my dad wasn't, me and my dad are very close now, but growing up, even when I lived with him, we wasn't close. Like I'd live in the house with him, but I wouldn't really have no to speak to, I didn't really have nothing to speak to him about, he's just my dad. Um, so yeah, it was a weird dynamic. My, my stepmom was an absolute godsend, man. She was young, she's 10 years younger than my dad. So at the time she'd have been like, I think my dad was 34 and she would have been 24. To me, there was both adults. I didn't really see it. But now as a grown adult, she was a young woman trying to re like she'd help out with all my dad's kids when they'd come. Obviously, I was the only one that lived there. But she didn't have no kids of her own at this time. But she did everything for me that she could. Um, she looked after me. She tried to do anything she could do. And she was, a, and I love her to pieces. Like I'm very close to her now. And she means the world to me. But she didn't, when she had other kids, I could see there was a, there's a different, you know, that maternal bond. Mm -hmm. So she did everything she could for me, but she never had that maternal bond. And I didn't really get that from my mum because me and my mum drifted apart a lot when I moved to my dad. I kind of felt like she didn't really care about me that much. So I feel like I was always looking for that maternal bond. And I think the closest I ever got to it was from my nana. 
Um, but yeah, I kind of missed that maternal bond growing up. And I think that had a big impact. It definitely does have a big impact on who I am today and especially in relationships and stuff. Yeah, your behaviour, the abandonment issues. Yeah, yeah big, yeah. yeah. That's why I'm the same, like getting close to someone. I love it at the start, yeah. getting close and growing connection. But once they, I start feeling for them, I think they can leave me here. Yeah, they yeah, can yeah. hurt me. Fuck you, you're yeah, done. Yeah, you're done. I'm I pose same. a fight or I push them away or I do something yeah. stupid like I don't want to make excuses, but part of me, every relationship only lasts maybe three months with myself. Like, I'm exactly and it's the same. same patterns. And I know this. I'm I'm trying to work on it now because yeah. I want to have a partner. I want to be able to trust, but my trust issues are fucking they're non-existent if I'm honest like, yeah. I, I can build trust with people to a certain degree but there's not enough there where they can fuck me over yeah 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 then exactly I'm, yeah. then I'm safe I try and protect my heart as much as I can and it's sad that but again I understand where the abandonment yeah. comes through in the relationships because as kids all we want is love and nourishment yeah. and protection 100%. and our parents done that to the best that both minds did to the best of their ability because of what they know yeah. my mum loves me to bits now like she's so proud but yeah. I can understand where the mischievous behaviour comes yeah. because it's it's like a cry out for attention yeah 100% and they don't even realise it at the time because you're a kid so you don't know any different it's only to be fair it's only as I got older as, a, as an adult and I started I've been to therapy a few times and I kind of worked out why I was the way I was like I've changed I'm completely if, if you knew me as a person and you met me today you'd think he's a completely different person I was dead hyper I was dead like, kind of almost arrogant, but I was the most insecure kid you'd ever meet, but it's almost an arrogance because I was trying to portray something I wasn't. Um, but I think everything you go through as a kid definitely shapes you to who the person you are. And I think that's why with my son, I'm uber like conscious of what I am, how I act around him and what I am around him. Just because I know these years of your life as a kid makes a big difference on who you are as an adult. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You ever diagnosed with like ADHD or anything like that? No, so I got di I'd never been to got foot um, professionally diagnosed, but my therapist says she's ninety percent sure that I've got borderline personality disorder, which comes a lot from abandonment and stuff like that. So basically you just can't get close to people and you'll feel what you'll feel one way one a certain way one day and then you can be a certain feel something the next. But it only really happens in relationships and certain things in life. I've got no consistency. Say even with a diet for example, I'll be absolutely penciled in for like three or four days and I fall out and become bothered. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I've got no consistency with certain things, but I'm, I'm working on it. That's <laughs> all we can do. We're yeah, a working yeah. process, brother. What is did you start getting into boxing? So I started boxing. My dad retired when I was seven, I think. And he why opened... did, sorry, why did your dad retire? Because he only had like 18 fights, 20 yeah, fights. Is if, that correct? Um, brain scan. He failed a brain scan. You're joking. Yeah, so we'd had so many fights and I think something on his brain scan and then he, yeah, he couldn't continue anymore, which was... I guess it was hard for him at the time because he had a lot more he wanted to do in the sport, but everything happens for a reason. Do you know what I mean? God doesn't make mistakes. And maybe if he didn't fail his brain scan, maybe he could have got hurt in the ring or anything. So you don't know. You just have mm -hmm. to say, accept it for what it is. And um, But yeah, so he retired young um, and he set up a boxing gym and that's my dad's passion. He absolutely loves that gym. I think what his real passion is helping kids, building them right up until the men. But he has a real thing about trying to bring the youth out and do good and try and I think it fulfills him trying to stop a kid going from one direction mm -hmm. and giving him a better path in life so I'm very proud of him for that um, but yeah I was seven and he had a gym in town called One Nation which it's still called today it was on St James's Street that was his first ever gym so I was kind of in the gym from young I used to get two crates and stand on him and go on a speedball as a kid I used to be fascinated with the speedball by the time I was like eight I was like <laughs> flying <laughs> so yeah that was when I started but I really started properly when I would say when I moved to my dad's house when I was 11 um, and I started well it would have been 10 I would have probably started taking it properly because I had my first amateur boxing match at 11 which is the youngest you can do it 
So yeah, so from then, but like I said, I'm my own worst enemy. I'd be, I've got all the ta natural talent in the world, but I would always, I wouldn't work as hard as other people or I'd, I remember I was doing dead well in the championships. I was penciled in, I was doing dead well in the championships and I was just beating all these people, four nations champion, people that I wasn't even meant to be beating. And then I ended up going to a party, staying up all night at one school party. I told my dad I was going to my mates, I'd lie to him or whatever. And all girls and I'm about 13 at the time, 14 trying to kiss up with girls and neck on and that as a kid, you know, and it's all new to you and that. Staying up and then ended up going in, in my next fight, not having no sleep and losing just because I just messed it all up for myself. So, um, and it was kind of like that for the most of my amateur career and then the start of my professional career, I just didn't take boxing serious. And as you know, from training, if you don't um, respect the sport, you'll get found out and, you'll, and it's a hard sport. You can't cheat. There's no cheating in boxing. Um, so yeah, I think I was I think I was just a bit mentally immature anyway growing up, even even up even when I first turned pro back in two thousand and nine or ten. Nine. I was still a bit immature. I'd be out pissed up like the week before fights and stuff. Cause I like boxing, but I didn't really Love it. Yeah. And I just did it because I didn't know anything different. But yeah, that's when I started boxing when I was seven. So it's a long time now because I'm fit one. <laughs> no, even like because people who go to combat sports that disciplines them. Yeah. But you kind of had the opposite effect. Yeah, no, Do you think no. that's because you could handle yourself? I just think I was a bit too... I just think I didn't care enough. I think I didn't care enough about it at the time. I was more interested in having fun. And I also think I probably just thought, yeah, because I was flying in the gym and I would spar people and I'd be fine. And no, every fight I've ever had that I've lost, I didn't, first round or two, they couldn't touch me. I'd be smashing them. Then the people that would always get me is the one that was not dead fit non-stop because then they'd get me towards the end of the fight. Um, middle of rounds and then they'd take over just to outpoint me um, so yeah I did give me discipline in certain aspects but at the same time is I think I was fighting against it and I also kind of thought I don't want to do it but I don't I kind of felt not pressured because I've never been pressured by anyone to box but I feel like everyone knew me as a boxer so it just became who I was do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and I maybe I just wasn't even interested in it at the time how many pro fights did you have? five what was your first fight like? The first fight I was, so I was 18 years old, didn't have no facial hair, I was like a proper baby face boy. <laughs> and I've come in at 11 stone two and I've boxed this guy, he's come in, black guy, dreadlocks, ripped to sheds, 27 years old, come in a stone heavier, butt naked on the scales, big dick swinging. I'm just thinking, my dad set me up here, Kipper, I'm going to get set about by this big African man, his name was Sabi Monteith. And I just thought, he just looks like some strong African warrior, I thought my dad set me up here first fight, I'm a little boy, what am I fighting this man for? Anyway, I said, fuck it, we're going to have to fight anyway. I don't care if you're staying heavy. I've sold the tickets now, do you know what I mean? So I've gone in there and I just hit him. I moved for six rounds and just tried not to get in, um, tried not to get involved with him. I won that fight. Then I had um, another fight in, I think it was Burton, and I knocked him out in the first or the second round. And that was the first time I'd knocked someone out because in amateurs, I'd stop people, but I'd never knock no one out. And like, these are smaller gloves. You, I was a bit bit bigger now. I'm about 19, 18 at the time, 19. Eight ounce. No, tens. They're tens in amateurs, but they're bare padded in the straps. Yeah. These are proper lace gloves. So, and then did my, my what I what I tend to do in my life, or what I used to tend to do in my life. So, after struck me, I was, didn't take the next fight serious, not training properly, this, that, and the other. Boxed a guy um, from Ingalls Gym. I think his name's Lee Duncan. And I was beating him for the first two rounds, but he was very awkward and laying back and stuff. And I'm knackered now. And then he's put it, the pressure up and I lost on points. I don't think I lost the fight, to be honest. If I normally lose, I lose. I'll say I lost the fight. But I don't think I lost that fight. Um, but like I said, it was my own fault. I should have trained harder. Then I knocked someone out in my fourth fight. 
Um, so uh, I've trained hard for that fight. And then the fifth fight, I trained okay for it, but I just shouldn't have been in there with the opponent. I was, I think he was named was Simon O'Donnell. He'd had like 10 fights, one nine boxing at Madison Square Garden. I think he'd not like five out consecutively. Um, so I don't think I should have been in there with him, but I was pinging him all over to be fair, dropped him in the first and then same thing, gassed out, caught me with a shot. And then I took a knee, he come with a body shot, I took a knee, stood up. And then my dad said, I said, no, I'm fine. Where are you? My dad threw the towel in. I said, what the f are you doing? But I think it was more, he seen me get hurt for the first time in his life. And he kind of wanted, his protection mode came in because I'm his son, right? And he, and he really annoyed me at the time. But maybe I would have got ironed out straight after. Do you know what I mean? He was like, he, he was a lot bigger and stronger than me. He was a man fighting a boy, basically. Um, but that was the best thing that happened to me, to be honest. Because I think from that, I realised you can't play at boxing now because look, these these not even at world level. And look how hard I found it. And I guess I was a boy as well at the time. I think I had to mature physically and emotionally. But yeah, that was my last pro fight. I've done um, a lot of unlicensed since I come out. But yeah, so five pro fights. But 2011, your whole life changed forever. That you were charged with manslaughter, punched punched a man, man was dead. Is it five days later? I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's the lead up to that event that so night? That last fight we were just talking about. Yeah. Well, lost. That was on the Friday or the Saturday, and it was the Tuesday that it happened. So it was literally a few days after the fight. And basically, I was dead down within myself because I'd lost the fight. I was embarrassed, um, upset, annoyed. And I was staying at my grandparents at the time, because at these times I'd sit back and forth for my mum, for my dad's and my grandparents. I'm really close to my nan and granddad. Um, so I was just staying there. I didn't. I'd been in the house for a few days, and I'd literally gone to get a Domino's pizza, and I'd seen my friend um, while I was up there. It's like a. It's called Alice Street, which is not far from where I live. And he basically was saying, "Oh look, come out with me tonight. We'll go to Leeds." He was a student there at the time. And I was like, nah, I'm not really interested, this and that, I'm don't, I'm not, I'm down or whatever. He's like, nah, come on, I'll make you feel better, et cetera, et cetera. I said, oh, give me a ring in a bit and I'll tell you if I want to come. So anyway, I've gone home and then he's ringing me saying, oh, these birds and that are coming. I thought, oh, he's just waiting to ask me to come out to tell me these certain birds are coming and this and that. So I was like, oh, thinking about it. So I ended up going, which is obviously nice. I wish I never, but I ended up going and we had a good, the night was fine. We had a good night. Um... Then we'd left the club, it was called Tiger Tiger in Leeds, we'd left the club. And he's so basically, before we went out, we'd gone to his stu his student house where he lived in. There's a few of them there. I knew some of them because some of them were from Derby. And then there's another guy that I'd never met before, but we'd met him before the night out and we'd gone out together. So anyway, when we'd left Tiger Tiger, me, my friend, and these two birds had left, his missus and a mate, his missus at the time. So we're walking across the street and his, one of his mates that he lives with was arguing with this um, other guy, this Asian guy. So these two are arguing or whatever. I've just, none of my business. I've kind of walked past. I've gone into the subway. These lot have come in behind me and I said, we've sat down, I'm eating my food and these two are still going at each other. So I'm just like, yeah, you lot just allow it, man. Forget it. We're, uh, the Asian guy has rang his mates. So now I'm eating my food. I've seen these two look at, come and look at the window and then run in. One of them is a big, biggish guy. So now I've stood up thinking, oh, it's going to go off. Like, because obviously we're with him. He's rang his mates. It's going off. So I've stood up. Then they've, We've all ended up going outside. Now, these two have had a fight the, that was originally arguing, the Asian guy and my friend's mate. The Asian guy is absolutely set about the my friend's friend, like, never batted him, smashed him all up and down the street. So then that's, that's finished. And then me and him, I can't, because it's so many years ago, I can't remember exactly what happened, but me and him have ended up in a kind of a verbal confrontation. So 
we're arguing, we're arguing and saying back and forth. And we've ended up face to face. Then I've pushed him in his face and he fell over and he's come, jumped up. I'll knock you out this time. The other, I said, oh, whatever, dickhead, jog on. So then we've tried to get in a taxi with my mate and obviously his mate, but he's covered in blood. So we've gone to get in a taxi. The taxi driver said, he's not getting in it. He's covered in blood. He's going to ruin my taxi. But as we're trying to get in the taxi, the Asian guy, he's called Jagdeep, has walked past me and my friends said, I'm going to wash my hand and come back and knock you out. I was like, oh yeah, whatever, mate. So anyway, we've tried to get in the taxi. Taxi won't let us in. So as I've come back around the corner to get into another taxi, we've come head to head again. Another verbal altercation's happened. So he's in front of me here and his mate's behind me. And I'm trying to remember exactly, because it's so many years ago, a verbal altercation's happened. He stepped towards me. I've stepped towards him. And as he stepped towards me, I've hit him. He's gone over and then his mate's jumped over and hit me. So I've hit his mate. He's dropped. Then I've walked off. I've seen his mate jump up. I've walked off. I've got in the taxi. We've gone back to the uni halls. But we've gone back into the uni halls. But we're in there and then loads of the police have just stormed it probably about an hour later or something. I've gone to the... Um, I've gone to the police station with my friend. He, they've locked a few of us up. Anyway, they've told me that he's on a life support machine. But I, I didn't think nothing. I just thought a life support machine. I didn't know he was hurt like that. Do you know what I mean? So I was, I'm now I'm a bit worried. I'm like, why is he on a life support machine kind of thing? Um, I, I thought they was lying, to be honest. I thought they was lying. I thought that um, they're just trying to put scare tactics into me. I'm like, at the end of the day, we've argued. He's come at me. So then I've gone back at him. Obviously, he's gone. He, I think. I think he went to bite me. That was it. As he's come to me, he's had his mouth open like he was going to bite me. That's when I've hit him. So it's kind of fifty-fifty. No one's. We've come, we've both gone for each other. So I'm not saying that he's attacked me and I'm defended myself. But at the same time, is it was like he's come at me and I've come at him kind of thing. So I'm thinking, oh, they're trying to um, put the scare tactics into me to try and make us all talk because they put us all in different things. But when I, normally they get out after twenty-four hours because I've been arrested before. So you normally get out after twenty-four hours. But like a day's gone past and nothing's come. Then they're taking off fingernails and this and that and the other. So I'm thinking this is actually a bit serious now. So now I'm thinking, for fuck's sake, do you know what I mean? What's happened to this kid? So they've locked us all up. And anyway, they've told us that he's on, um, he's declining. He's on life support and he's declining. So I'm like, I, I've been in the cell for like three days now. So they've um, locked me up. They've, re they've remanded me in prison. When I've got to prison, the first day I've got there, I'm thinking, I spoke to my one of my parents and they said, oh, he's, he's getting better. He's, he's, he's coming back out or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. Another two days went past. I was just in there waiting on my court day. I can't remember whatever court day I had. And I rang my mum on the phone and she's crying. I'm like, what, what are you crying for? She's like, have you not heard? I was like, not heard what? She's like, his dad. I'm like, who's died? It didn't even compute that she was on about him. She was on about, and they said, oh, he's died. The, the boy you hit's died. So I'm just like, I remember just having a dead, like, out of body experience so I was just sitting there just thinking like I just remember sitting on my bed thinking like selfishly the first thing that I thought, I thought is I'm never getting out of prison that's what I remember thinking and I remember thinking that's a very selfish thing to think do you know what I mean but I think the only way to cope with it was to it was easier for me to cope with it to kind of blame him because I'm like well you've started the fight you've called your friends up you've come at me do you know what I mean and I think that's how I cope with it at the time. So I was kind of just thinking about myself for for a while. I think most, I think for a while, I think it took a very long time for me to even really process it. Um. So now they've come back to the prison. 
because he was section 18 because he was still alive. So they've come back to the prison. The police have, they've told me back to the station. They've rearrested me, told me back to the station, re-interviewed me. They said, now we're changing the charge from section 18 to murder. So I'm like, how is it murder? It was one punch. Like, hey, I've never intended to kill him, clearly. They said, you're a boxer. You know what your fist can do. That means their weapons, et cetera, et cetera. So I, before the trial, they kept getting information from the doctors and this and that. And they said, there's a, there's a big problem here. I said, what? Because I changed my solicitors. I had one for him and I changed it to another for him. They said, there's a big problem here. I said, what? They said, there's a lot of blunders at the hospital. I says, what do you mean? They said, basically, they've put him on a ventilating machine that didn't work. So it's seven minutes or something. Yeah. Dodgy. Yeah. And it didn't work. So they put him on and left and it didn't work. So basically they've incubated him so he can, so they can put him on a breathing machine. He didn't need it anyway, but they've done it anyway because it's meant to be standard practice. If somebody's, if they put, they put him into an induced coma. So they said that the breathing machine they put him on didn't work and it's made his body go into cardiac arrest. So then when they've tried to, um, I did done something to try and make help him breathe and it punctured his lung as well. So it's just one thing, one blunder after another. So I said, so then what our argument was, well, if I've not killed him, how are you going to charge me with murder? So they're saying, well, basically the hospital's your code. You've both killed him. So you're both as bad as each other. If you didn't put him in there, then he wouldn't have died, etc. So we've gone to trial. They said, you can plead guilty to section 18 or manslaughter. I says, no. I said, he... I'll plead guilty to section 20 because there was no intent and I've not killed him. They said, no, so you can go to, so you can, they're the two deals. You can have a plea guilty to manslaughter today or to section 18. I says, no, I'll go to trial on murder. And I half knew I was going to get found guilty of manslaughter, but I just didn't want to plead guilty on their terms kind of thing. I think I was a bit young and I half thought, well, if he never came at me, it was kind of self-defense in my head. I think I convinced myself of that. But looking back at, of it now as an adult, I deserve to go to prison. But at the time I was thinking, well, he come at me if he didn't step to me first, because he did take the first step towards me. I was thinking if he didn't step towards me, then it wouldn't have happened. That's my mindset at the time. But like I said, as an as an adult now, I see it differently. Um, so I, en I ended up going to trial. I ended up getting found not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter. They gave me seven years with a three years extra license. So they classed me as an EPP. Um, and yeah, and that was it. I guess I just, I'd already been on remand for I think nine or 10 months at the time. And that was it. They just said, yeah, you got two, two, two years, three years left or something, just under three years left by that time. I'd done nine months. Um, and yeah, I, that was basically the short and fall of what happened that night. What was it like being in court with that kid's family there? Like how tough is that? So it's especially if you're trying to blame him and you, but you're blaming yourself and yeah. like self-defense is self-defense. If yeah. somebody steps forward, you have got a right to defend, but yeah. like you say, your hands are yeah. weapons as well. But how hard is that to be in courtrooms and hearing families crying all against you and blaming you? It was very emotionally hard. It was the whole thing was draining. Being in prison, you have to get up dead early. They put you in like this box to get in the prison bus to get you to court. Then you sat in things. So that was all emotionally draining. And, for the first bit, he wasn't there because I think his family was from London, I think, I believe. And this was in Leeds as a student. Um, it was hard, man. When I see them there, I didn't have the heart to look at them. I just couldn't look at them, to be to be honest with you. I didn't... It's a hard reality. I think at the time, at the time, I was just like kind of numb. I just couldn't look at them, but I was just kind of numb. And I just thought, well, I kind, kind of convinced myself I was more innocent than I was. 
it, it could have been looked, to be honest with you, it could have been looked at as self-defense. He stepped at me legally, whether you're a boxer or not. If someone, if you think someone's a threat to you, you're allowed to legally hit them. If someone hits you or goes to hit you, you're allowed to hit them, whether you're a boxer or not. So depending on how you look at it, it could have been looked like that. But in hindsight, I deserve to go to prison because I, I could have ran off. I could have done anything. Do you know what I mean? He was both it. The, the truth is, was both it wrong. We, could, we should have both walked off. He shouldn't have come at me and I shouldn't have come at him. That's the truth. Um, but I think for years, tell I, I think for years, I, 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 it was just easier to blame everybody else but me. Um, I was like, well, if he'd not done this, this, that, and the other. And it wasn't that I was, I was definitely remorseful, but it wasn't that I wasn't remorseful. I was just, it was the easiest way for me to cope. And I've got a big heart, do you know what I mean? And to know that you've took someone's child away from them is a hard reality to live with, do you know what I mean? And I can't, re I try, even now, if I think about it, I'll, I'll get, it'll tear me up, do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a very hard reality to live with. And I think I've not, I've only really sat and had this conversation with myself in the past couple of years. I think for years, it's just, I just, it was just too hard to think about, do you know what I mean? And I think to, he had his whole life ahead of him. And if I was not such an, because the only reason I didn't walk away is because I was too insecure. There's people there, he's half put it on me and I couldn't bring myself to walk away. And I just think if you wasn't such an insecure little fool, you could have said, you know what, even if he hit me, I could have still walked away. And I think it's a very, it's a, it's a horrible reality to live with. And I, my heart sinks for his family because I've got a son now. And if anything happened to him, I don't think I could live through it. Honestly, that's the God's honest truth. I don't think I'd ever end up doing something to myself. I'd end up in a mental institute. I don't think I'm, do you know what I mean? And I feel like for me to put someone's family through that, he's got sisters, he's got family. And all this over nothing. It was nothing. Do you know what I mean? Two people having an argument about a cigarette I had. It was all a light or something stupid. Um, so I think for, the, for most of my prison time, and even when I come out, it was just easy not to take full responsibility. But I think to grow as a person, you have to have a, a, some hard, honest conversations with yourself and be true to yourself. And it was a it was a hard, hard conversation I had to have yeah, with myself. Yeah, that's the difficult thing. I know you're type personally. Mm. I've spent a lot of time with you now. And Clash is a friend, I know the struggles you've been through, and as I can understand that family as well. I've lost family members to murder and suicide and overdose to all kinds, and my family's inflicted a lot of pain onto others as well. But I can understand that family's hate and raised to maybe towards yourself. Maybe they're not now, maybe they see and hopefully see this and go, you know what, he has changed. People do change, like you never set out to hurt anybody. Yes, you got yourself in a fight. It happens. I've been in many, like just like anybody probably watching or listening to this, I've been in many. Like, it happens. People do get in scuffles. It's just one of those things that you've had to deal with. You'll probably be dealing with it the rest of your life. That's the sad reality of it, man, because mm -hmm. obviously you have got a big heart and you can see the pain in your eyes. But as time goes on, only thing you can do is try and be the best version that you can be and, and learn from the mistakes that you've made. Like, that is probably the worst mistake that you can make in life. Mm -hmm. But being a father and I see you where you are with your son and try to rectify the pain and try to become a better person, that's all you can ever ask of anybody is to put your hands up. And that's the, if you're in a, in a cage for seven years of your life, you're going to blame everybody else. Yeah. What if I never went out that night? You're probably blaming the guys who took you out that night. You're probably blaming the birds that's there. But in the reality, you've just got to blame yourself because... You went out, you made the choices, and that that is the hard thing. But then when you start admitting 
that you have fucked up, then that's when you can get changed, brother. How hard was it though? Your sentence, like to get a seven, would you have got a lesser sentence if you took the deal? A four yeah, or a I'd five? Got, I'd have probably got about a five. Yeah, seven is quite a lot. To be honest with you, it never ever entered. Even after I got, even after I got a sentence, it never. I never once thought to myself, oh, "I wish I'd have took the deal." Honestly, didn't it didn't even enter me. I just thought, "You've got what you've got." Um, I was annoyed at the time. I was fuming because someone had just got the same same thing. One punch manslaughter. Apart from there's no big, there was no hospital negligence. The he the guy he was fighting hadn't beaten anybody up just before. There was nothing. He was just I think just walked up and it's only got three years. So I'm thinking, why have I got seven? But the judge made give me whatever he give me. Made an example. Yeah. Um, and I just got on with it, mate. I think I just kind of just thought, right, you've got no choice but to get on with it. Um, and you just do what you've got to do, mate. Yeah, I, the, the, what I didn't like about prison is sometimes you have to be someone you don't want to be to survive in certain places because there's a lot of leech, cockroaches, horrible mm -hmm. people in there. There's some people, there's people in there for disgusting things. There's people in there that have put babies in sleeping bags and um, in. Uh, pillowcases and smashed them against the wall and killed them and raped people and murdered and chopped people to bits horrible people and then you get these burglars and this and that and that try and there's always people trying to cut and you have to be one step ahead and then there's also people that want to put it on you and sit, test you and stuff so i'm as i got older the older i get the less conflict i'm involved in. i'm not interested in like say if someone come up to me now it's happened to me a few times and put it on me i'm not interested I'm not bothered. Okay, I'm a pussy. You can beat me up. I'm not bothered. And I think after that happened, what I went to prison for, it just changed me straight away. I just wasn't even interested in fighting. But I even had to engage in a couple of fights in there just to survive. Do you know what I mean? So I didn't, I didn't, I did have some good times in prison. Don't get me wrong. I met some good people, had some laughs, and I met some friend bonds that with people that I'm still close with today. But it's not a nice place. It's just a waste of life. Prison's not even hard. For me, I spent most of my life by myself anyway before prison. Like I, for the five years, six, seven years before prison, I'd lived in my dad's house. They was old, old pe older people to be, they'd be at work or wherever. I'd just by myself. So I didn't find prison hard, to be honest. I had a mobile phone most of the time I was in there. I was just sleeping all day and texting birds all night. Um, so it wasn't hard. It's just a waste of life. And it, do you know what hurt me a lot? Seeing the pain I'd not only put his family through, but put my own family through. I think my family loved me a lot. Do you know what I mean? Especially the ones close to me, my grandparents and my dad and stuff. And I just felt like I'd let everybody down. And I just felt like I'm just how everyone thought I was going to be turned out. Like, yeah, you was naughty in school. You was naughty. This was always going to happen. And I was just, I was just embarrassed and ashamed of myself. Not, not just only hurt for his family and my family. I just felt disgusted in myself. I just thought you are, you're nothing, you're worthless kind of thing. Yeah. That's the sad thing because you and you says it there, I was just about to say that, that because you were mischievous, always getting in trouble, prisons, was that the card you were already going to deal? And it, it's not as if you've went and got a shooter, put a barley on and went yeah. and blasted someone. Like, and that's the only thing, especially with your, your gran and your grandpa, who you can see the connections there. Like, how hard is that for them to come up and see their Horrible. baby in prison? Horrible. And me and my nan are so close. I'm just as close to my nan and granddad, but my nan is the only female I've got in this world that is pure to me. Like, she, I just know that she just loves me regardless of anything. My nan just would think the world of me. Do you know what I mean? She'd never abandon me. She'd never, she's the only person, she's the only female I can fully put my trust in. And then to have her come up there and getting searched and, do you know what I mean? Like, and she'd do it because she loved me and she'd write me letters and they'd do, and they'd make a fuss. But it's just, I just felt like a failure. I just thought the people I love it the most in this world, look what I'm having to put them through because I was just an insecure kid that didn't know how to walk away from a fight or, walk away from a situation or all, all this because of that. And I just wish I'd knew myself earlier. 
Do you know what I mean? Knew, 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 knew more about myself to realise the reason I was acting the way I was acting. But hindsight's a wonderful thing. Like we can't yeah. change the past, we can't rewrite it, but what we can do is rewrite, we can write the future and plan out how we're going to live the rest of our days and no matter what you've done, like I've spoke to some mad bastards in, on these podcasts and people do change, people yeah. do care, people make better choices, better decisions and the thing is, people watch us and take inspiration from your story yeah. and you're probably sitting in a cell fucking 10 years ago thinking that would never happen. Yeah. But that's all you can do is, is just live your life the way you the best way you can. Like, see when you, you were getting out of prison, see when you got your release date, like, because prison makes you or breaks you as well. Like, the strongest men become the weakest, end yeah, up on true. the fucking brown or whatever, and, and then just become weak members. Like, yeah. Weak people come strong because all they can do is try and fight their way out of it. But when you're coming out, what's the game plan in your mind? Is it either, do you know what, I've met a lot of bad men in here, I'm going to go down the route of just being 100% lost in life or did you did you do courses working on your temperament yeah so yeah yeah so you have to do certain courses to get out to pass certain so you have a probation officer inside and outside of prison so they put courses that you have to do in there but to be honest with you they don't do no good they're just like if you was on a bus and someone flicked an elastic band at your face how you're gonna act you you're gonna say you, in reality you probably tell them to fuck off what you're doing but you have to say oh well i'll just ignore it it's not it's not realistic mm -hmm. but i think to be honest that whole incident changed me anyway i think prison didn't change me what happened changed me and I just thought I just didn't want no conflict no more do you know what I mean he just I was always a good person I've I've always been a good person but I just had so much insecurities and messed up things as a kid growing up that I just didn't know how to handle certain situations but I always knew I, I always had remorse I always felt bad about things so I knew I was a good person I had a good heart but I think that just changed me so when I come out I just thought right I've got two choices either I am who I think I am or I am who they say I am and who they think I am, who they say I am is like a, 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 a guy that fights and is nasty and this and that. But who I know I am is I'm a good person and I just need to show everybody that. So I knew when I come out, I wanted to make a change. I wanted to make a difference. And I have, I've got a, a charity that I've set up called just um, called Get Heard. And I go around to schools, a lot of naughty schools where the kids have been kicked out of schools and I speak with the kids and let them know my story. And look, if you keep doing this, this is what can happen. But also if you change your life around, this is what can happen. Um, and I find a lot of fulfillment in that. I just feel like if I can, it's a cliche, but I really mean it. Even if I stop one person going down the wrong route, it will fulfill me. And I feel like that's um, that's my that's my pride at the minute, trying to trying to speak to kids and stop people and give them a different outlook. I think a lot of kids, they just don't know any different. They just have certain, I was quite blessed to go up in a nice area, but some kids are growing up around gangs and drugs and, and really bad things. And I feel they don't know any different. This is all life's ever given. So to, to show them, all right, cool, if you can do this, this and this, you can get here, here and here. Because I think as a kid, you always have big dreams. You always want nice cars, houses, this and that. And it's all attainable. You just which way you go about it. So before I was coming out of prison, I, that was also my goal, to have a charity, but to also get back into my boxing. Because I just thought, boxing's all I know how to do. I'm not good at anything else. I've never, I don't have anything else really to do. Um, so my plan was, yeah, I don't know. In my head, it was all dreams. Like it was all just plain sailing. I get out, get my license back, change my life around, stop people making the mistakes I did. Got out. I flew to, I was out for a couple of weeks, and I was allowed to fly to Cannes, south of France. And I gone on the training camp with Tyson Fury, Huey Fury, and stuff, and was meant to be. Huey was boxing actually in Derby, a few weeks after. So I was gonna get on that undercard. So I got a foreign license. Went to boxing and they said, no, mate, you're not boxing on our shows. Like, apply for a British license and we'll look at it. 
So I couldn't find that show. I boxed for a British, got, went for a British license, got denied. And then, yeah, since then, I've not, they said basically just wait till you're off license before you can apply. So I'm off license now, um, but I've got a driving charge pending. So they want me to clear that out before I apply again. So that's basically the stage we're at at the minute. How hard was it to come out of prison for knowing that this, the crime that you admitted that? How hard is that then to begin into a boxing ring and punching somebody like? Yeah. How, how like I would imagine like you either just got all this frustration and anger and just letting it all out on somebody, or else were you holding back and going, I don't want to try and hurt anybody like. Yeah, I don't differentiate the two at all. Mm -hmm. So like, boxing's boxing and a street fight's a street fight. I don't even. It's like if I don't know, I crashed into somebody dead bad on a go kart, but I'd still drive a car. Do you know what I mean? It's, I just don't see the parallels in the two. I think boxing, it's a controlled sport. So when we're sparring anyway, say if I wobble somebody, I'll step back anyway, you don't finish them off. That's only for a fight. And then in a fight, if you, you've got the, you've got gloves on, you've got a mouth guard in, you've got a canvas, you've got doctors, everything. It's, it's, I just don't differentiate the two. So I just boxed as, as I normally would. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I didn't, I didn't see any, um, and I didn't, yeah, I just didn't ever merge the two together, to be honest. Yeah. How hard does that work in yourself? Like, you've served your time, you're coming out, you're training hard, you're training with the likes of Tyson Fury, but they're putting it in the papers, Tyson Fury's hiring paid killers. Like, how hard is that for you? Yeah, I just think it's just the, the, the press have got a job to do. They're just there to do whatever sells. So I wasn't angry at them. I was just, what annoyed me was more with the local Telegraph, Derby Evening Telegraph. They hurt me because I'd done a box for charity before, I'd done stuff with kids, I've boxed, and I think the most I got is one little article maybe in the back. Then when I got done for something bad, front page, front page again, they put me on the front page plenty of times. And I'm just thinking, at least be consistent. If somebody's doing good, put, post that as well. But you only post it when it's bad, which is natural, that's the press. That, that annoyed me. And I just feel like people, most people for the most part are, are nice to me. And they said, look, it's so beautiful to see someone that went through what you went through, but then change the life around because I could have kept the other way. All right, I messed up now, but I refuse to be given that, that stigma. Like I've made a mistake and it's the worst mistake of my life. And it will, it hurts me more than what they'll ever know. Do you know what I mean? But I'm going to change my life around. I'm going to put some good back into this world because I can't change one thing. I know one, you can sit there and you'll lose your mind trying to change the past. I wish I'd have done this or I wish I'd have spoke, I wish I'd have not gone there this night and this and that, but what's done is done. And once you accept it, okay, it's done. What am I going to do now? All right, then cool. I'm going to spread some positivity into the world. I do loads of charity stuff, not just that. I do loads of stuff. I don't talk about it because I don't want no reward. I, that's between me and God. I do it for, for, for that reason. But putting positivity into the world and things like that will make you feel good. You're making other people's lives better. So then, all right, cool. I, I did, I, I made a bad mistake when I was younger. I can't change it, but now I'm going to just keep giving as much love and niceness and trying to help other people like as I can. And I think people that know me see that and people that follow my Instagram and stuff see that I'm not like that no more. And they just, I think for the most part, people are happy for me. They want me to have my shot at, at the um, world title, at the box, sorry, professional title. And I just feel like it's a good platform to, to showcase you can change your life, man. I think boxing saved a lot of lives in the past. Um, there's a lot of people with the worst backgrounds. I know people with worse, far worse backgrounds than mine that have got professional licenses and it's changed their lives around. They, they do good stuff now. And I think to be able to show it on a bigger scale to a bigger audience, maybe I'll change other people's lives in the process. And that's what we're here for, man. We're all going to be dead soon anyway, life short. Yeah. So just, it's this footprint that I want to leave by the time I'm gone, yeah. When you were in prison watching boxing, 
did it make you appreciate it or did it make you hate it even more that you could have been where they are or did it make you I don't want to do that again so it depends what part of my sentence because I quite because I've got a few years to do yeah, the star wasn't even bothered I didn't even think about boxing I didn't even I just thought it's years away yet I didn't even think about it I just went to the gym I tried to get as big and strong as I could just for something to do um, so yeah I just didn't think about it but towards the end I remember thinking I can't wait to go to the boxing gym that's all I wanted to do. I thought, I can't wait to go to the boxing gym. I can't wait to go to the boxing gym. I come out, I went to probation, then I went to the boxing gym. <laughs> First thing I did, I went to see my grandparents, sorry. I went, come out, went to see my grandparents, went to the boxing gym. Um, and yeah, I kind of fell in love with it. I definitely take a different approach to it now than I used to. It's still hard to stay motivated because I've not got a license. But then again, I've done a lot of um, unlicensed fights. I've done 13 of them um, in the past five years. Um but yeah, like I train hard. Like now, when it's time to for a fight, I'll train properly and I don't leave no stone unturned. And that's why I've never lost since that. When I lost that f last fight before I went away, I've knocked all of them out apart from one. That's just because I've trained properly and I and I and I, and I take it more seriously. Because like I said, I'm a grown up. I think I'm just a bit more mature as a as a hu as a human as a grown up. Whereas before, I was a bit like hyper. I didn't really want to train. I wanted to do this and that. But yeah, no, I I definitely did miss it. I think now it's harder. For then see when you asked me when I was in there I'd seen if I'd seen people boxing I was thinking that could be me I think it's harder now because I'm around them I've sparred them and I know how I did in sparring against them and I see people and I think I'm happy for them I'm never envious of them I just feel like yo I could live like I could be millionaire now world titles everything if I'd had the chance but God doesn't make mistakes and God's timing's perfect so I take solace in that when it's time or if it's ever time because I might never get my license ever anywhere but that's not because the board won't give it me it's because God says no he's got something else planned for me and if that's the case that's the case I'm fine with that but God willing I'll get my license back and I will become the boxer that I believe I can be How long have you been fighting to get your license back? Since the day, <laughs> since the day I got out of jail 2015 So seven years Yeah but to be fair they did say look as a whole, they are mostly the same with most people. They don't give you a license if you're on license or whatever. There is the odd exception. Um, but I just thought, it's, all right, cool. As soon as I'm off license, then I can get it back. But now they're saying there's a there's a drive-in charge pending, which is going to get taken care of anyway. So it's just a bit longer than I thought. But so yeah, hopefully we'll get there, man, because I'm 31 now. I ain't got too much time left. How would you feel if you got your, your, your license? I'd be emotional yeah i think i'll be i don't think i'll be emotional getting it back but i think the first ring walk or after the first fight i'd be a bit emotional i think i'll be i just think it's a long time coming i just feel like it's a part to i feel like boxing's the only thing i can that can really give me the chance to change my life properly in a way that i want it to change because it's not even about the money the thing is with boxing because i thought this the other day yeah and someone's like yeah you can go into this you can do this and i know a lot of people in industries and it could help me put me go into businesses and stuff and i'm like I had a conversation with myself about it and I was thinking even if I got a business now and it's a normal business and I made millions from it, it wouldn't fulfill me. And I was thinking, well, why not then if it's not about the money? Because it's definitely about money in boxing for me, but what is it more? And I think it's because I know if I win a world title, it's kind of like a fulfillment to myself to say to my school teachers, to everybody that wrote me off that just said I was no good. The kid came good in the end. He did, he's made something out of his life. And I think that's what, really drives me. I want to make something in my life. My, my family my family are proud of me anyway for the person I've become as I've got older. But I feel like it's more of a internal battle with myself to say, yeah, 
you you you've done good. You've changed it, and I feel like it's on a platform where everyone can say, "Look, the the kid changed his life around, mm -hmm. and the kid, the, he came good in the end." Do you know what I mean? What's it like sparring with the likes of Tyson Fury, Dillian White, Tony Bellew, like some of the greatest fighters on the planet? Like, how is that feeling? Yeah, it's good. I think um, what's good about it is they've all been at the high echelon and done it, and I feel like this is the pinnacle of the sport. It doesn't get no bigger than these guys. So if I'm in there sharing the ring with them at a super middleweight and he's like a heavyweight cruiserweight and I'm having it, do you know what I mean? And I'm not jacking it and I'm giving as good as I get. It's it's good, man. It kind of gives me a confidence because I make it, I'm a lot more confident than I am. I've grown in confidence as a boxer over the years. I remember before, even before, that's another thing, but before when I used to box pro and stuff, I used to think, I, used to, I remember saying to my mate Dave Ryan, Oh, do you think you're definitely going to win when you fight? Because we was boxing on the same last show. He said, yeah, I had no doubt. I definitely think I'm going to win. He's like, don't you? I was like, I don't know, it's 50-50. I don't know, it could be dead good. So I didn't really have that confidence and it grew a lot over the past years. Now when I go in there, I think there's no way you're going to beat me. But I didn't used to be like that. So I think maybe sparring with these lots give me the confidence. And yeah, and it's good, man. I think they give good advice and especially being with them on fight build at week. When Tyson boxed um, Klitschko in Germany, I was there with him for that fight. And just being around it, seeing how the media works, the press conference, and he's just a different kind of person to be with on fight week. He, when I'm telling you that man doesn't give a shit, he's not bothered. I promise you, like, was I think I was a few rooms down from him and he's rang me, but this is before we're about to go to the Klitschko fight. I think we're going in like half an hour. So he's rang me, I think, you know, he probably wants to talk tactics or I don't know, get something off his chest. He's asked me to come to his room. He wants to show me a video of cats on YouTube doing something funny. Video. <laughs> I said, are you all right in your head? I said, do you know you're about to fight in front of 50,000 people? He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Forget that's in a bit. But look at this cat. It's funny, isn't it? And I just thought, this man doesn't care. And then we've gone to the we've gone to the um, studio. We've gone uh, to the arena, sorry. We've gone to the arena and his demeanor didn't change the whole time. He was dancing. He was thinking, he's gone out to the fight. just went out and, out, and he, he just doesn't care. So I feel like it was good to be around him and the venue to see, ah, oh, then this is what happens on big occasions and stuff. And I think when you familiar, familiarize yourself with things, it doesn't become so daunting when you do it yourself. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good experience. And I owe a lot to Tyson. He's done a lot for me in my career. He's helped me a lot to get where I am and open doors for me in boxing. Not even intentionally, but he just helped me just from being a friend of mine. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah, he's, yeah. Um, I owe a lot to him and I respect him. And Dilly, a lot of them, man. They've all, even Bell, you, I speak to Bell, you, I ring him up and ask him for advice and he gives it me and, there's some good people in boxing, man. They go out of the way if I ask them for advice on something or even if I don't ask them, they still try and put me on someone and say, oh yeah, you should spar tie. He's going to be mm -hmm. good. So it helps. Tony Bell, you're one of the best, mate. Oh, just I, re I really get Scouser, on with him. Scouser, aren't they, mate? They're, yeah, they're I really do get on with him. Scousers are crazy yeah. bastards, but they're good people, man. Yeah, he is. And uh, Tony Bell, you're up there. Like, see, when you, who's the hardest spar you've ever had? See, it's hard to say. Everyone asks me this. And because I'm quite friends with a few of them, I feel like it's things, mate. Yeah. But to be honest with you, it's very different. So Tyson's the only person that I've ever sparred that can just make me feel nullified. Like he can say, if he goes defensive against me, he's the only person I've sparred where I can go at him for a round and not land a shot. Like he's that good. And sometimes I just think, how are you this big? I'm this fit. I'm moving that quick. So for 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 for, for basically boxing for boxing masterclass where it's like to be hit and not get hit Tyson's superior to anyone I've ever sparred when it's come to actual this spar's hard was I'd say Tony Bellew because he was just game you know because he and he hits hard I can't believe how hard he, he hit so when I'm sparring with him the whole time it's like I'm in like a it's like I'm in a fight I've got to be on point I'm taking shots I'm giving shots so that that was good but the, when I say dangerous Dillian He's, I kind of felt dangerous because he hit so hard and you could be fighting with him 
inside and he could just let off a shot mid combination. He'll just take one and check hook you or something. So I had to be very alert when sparring him because I'm thinking if I take one of these on the whiskers, it could be good night. Do you know what I mean? So everyone has different different um, stuff, but I've sparred a lot of good people, man. Anthony Joshua hits hard. I didn't realize how good he, how, how hard he was going to hit. Um, we've not sparred properly. Properly, we've only done a few rounds. Um, I think I'm going to be sparring him for his camp against Usyk. Um, so I can't really give a proper honest opinion on AJ the mini bar. I know he's got a, his, his distance control is better than what I thought, um, but he punches hard, man. <laughs> I give him that. I know you could punch hard, but yeah, the guy can punch. And why he's a nice you, guy as well. Why are you on the phone book for to spar these heavyweights? Because you, of how good Jarrers. Because you're a bit lighter, faster. How does it work? How do I, you I don't know. I guess because I, you don't hit. I I, I don't really want to blow my own trumpet, but I guess it must be because how good I am. Because the there's loads of good kids, super middleweights, but they don't ring them up for sparring. They only really ring me. One, I'm Southpaw. Southpaw. So when they have Southpaw sparring, they normally just hire other Southpaws, which obviously I am one of them. But you don't hear of heavyweights calling super middleweights for sparring. But I think the thing is I can hit hard and I can take a shot. So it's not like with a lot of super middleweights, maybe they wouldn't respect the power as much or maybe they wouldn't um, be able to open up on them as much. I'm just like, if you knock me out, you knock me out. I'm getting paid to spar, made to spar, let's have it. And that's it. And I spar them like the my way. I, just, I, I hit them as hard as they can. They hit me back. I mean, it's just a spar. I think the only difference is with sparring, you spar like you're having a fight. The only difference is if someone wobbles somebody, then you don't finish them off. That's the only difference really. Otherwise, you're having a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm quite, I'm kind of I, I'm tricky, nimble. So if you're sparring like a, if you're fighting, you're Usyk. I'm good for sparring, I guess, because I stepped to the side. We've got a different style, me and Usyk, but there's some similarities in some aspects. So I'm not complaining. I get paid well for the heavyweights. They get paid big money. So when they spar, they pay good money. So it's, I'm not complaining. When you, I was going to say F, but when you get your license back, how fast do you think you could become world champion? God knows best, man. Um I tried to move fast track. To be honest with you, I don't think it's nothing to do with the um, level of fighters. It's just to do with ring fitness. So I have to do a couple of camps back to back to get 12 round fit because I might be all right for five rounds, six rounds. But then when you're getting in seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, 12, do you know what I mean? Even from 10 to 12, they call 11 and 12 the championship rounds is a big difference. So it just depends on how quick I can go up the ranks and how quick, how much It'd be, it's not even to do with the rounds it's to do with camps how many back-to-back camps I can get in in a time I'd like to say within two years I'd like to fight for a world title I don't mind taking risks I, I think I, I have a lot of self-belief in what I, I on what capability I have my problem is my biggest thing is I've never had the the motivation to train my hardest because I'm not a pro license but you've got to think all these boxers are saying all these good things about me I've never even been fit spying them so this is just natural talent so I imagine what I could do if I took it serious, nailed down, as soon as I get my pro license, everything changes. Like I will be a gym rat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe super middleweight, I'll be anywhere from anyway. So I'm not bothered about who it is. It's just to do with camps and fitness. That's what it is. So where do you go from here then? Try to get your license back and stay and keep your head above water and just keep doing your, doing your charity work, being the best father that you can be. Like, how do you go forward here? What if you never get your license? See, I have to, I have to plan for that eventuality. So that's why I'm literally at the minute I'm looking into property and things like this and investing um, into them kind of things. I think it's a good backup plan. I think property you never really lose if you know what you're doing right. Um, so that's kind of a backup plan, that kind of side of stuff. But my passion is all. I'm always going to do my charity work regardless. And to be fair, with 
the boxing. I'm not even, I want to live comfortably, but I'm not, even if I've made silly money like Tyson and he's like, I've ever made, I'd give most of it away. I don't need it. I think I couldn't, me personally, as, as the person I am, I can't have, I'm not saying I don't want a big house. I want a big house and I want to live, I want to have nice, a nice car and stuff like that. But I wouldn't be the kind of person to have like seven cars that are just sitting there and this kid's starving. How can I justify having a car in my garage worth, say, 100 grand, 200 grand that I don't drive and there's people, there's kids out there that can't even eat? I couldn't, that, that doesn't sit well with me. So I think it's not really, it is about the money because I want to live comfortably, but it's not just about the money. It's more, like I said, about the success. So hopefully, I can get it back. The chances I can definitely fight anyway, regardless to anything. I can fight. I can get a license today, and I can go and box in Spain or whatever. But then I want to box in Britain. I want to box in front of my people and stuff. So hopefully, God willing, that'll be the plan. Um, I don't know how long. I think maybe definitely before the end of the year, it should all sort itself out one way or another. Yeah, that's the plan. See, when you're trying to do good and be a best version that you can be, is that because? Of the shit that you've caused in the path is that because you spoke about God a lot is that to try and balance it out where whether you go to the fucking golden gates above like, is that or is it just you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah. so I think it's a, it's a, it's a combination what you've done yeah it's a combination of the two so I'm a Muslim as you already know and in my religion when you convert to that religion anything you've ever done in the past is wiped clean anyway and I turned Muslim after um, what I went to prison for so everything is wiped clean because it's, it's classed as a new slate. And then obviously you judged after whatever you've done from then you're judged. So I think definitely my moral compass definitely comes a lot from Islam. But regardless of that, I'm a good human being anyway. I'm a good person. So I want to do good anyway. I've always, even from a kid or a young, as a teenager, when I used to see like, I couldn't watch things like comic relief, I'd start crying. Like things with like innocence and kids. I have a real thing with innocence and it really affects me like, I'm a good person, but if someone deserves something, I don't mind. Do you know what I mean? I think if, say if someone did something and someone got revenge on them, I think, well, it shouldn't have been your fault. You shouldn't have done it in the first place. I can be, I'm not like completely, oh, I'm like some angel. But I have a real thing with innocence. And I think kids, man, they're just so innocent and pure. And I just feel like when I see things on like, you know, Comet Leaf and charities and stuff, and I just, I just always have an urge to help them. And I, Or even if I see homeless people, I have a urge to just help people. You know, people that are just they can't really help themselves. And do you know what I mean? And I'm far from a multimillionaire or anything like that, but I'm not, I'm not homeless at the same time. I'm so blessed. Like I've got a house over, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a car. My son wants for nothing. I'm blessed anyway. So before I've even started anything from today, I'm already blessed without boxing, without anything. I'm blessed anyway. So alhamdulillah for that from the jump. But I just want to help people. Do you know what I mean? That's just something. It, it I, I, like I say, I definitely do get a lot of my moral compass from Islam, um, and Islam's the best thing that ever happened to me. To be honest, I think without Islam, my mental health would have been a lot more. Because I've gone through bad spells, especially last year was probably the worst year of my life mentally. Why? I, I went through. I just went through a lot of stuff. I think, like I said, with re with relationships and stuff, I couldn't. I'd, like I said, as a kid, you just want to be loved. And I couldn't, I can't connect properly with people. I'm too scared. Like I'm on and off. Like I've had a, an ex that I'd been on and off with for like five years. And to be fair, it was my fault because it was never even meant to be nothing. And I ended up falling in love with her. I fell in love with the way she treated me. She, She's the only female that I met where I thought, you actually just love me no matter what. And, but I couldn't, do you know what I mean? Commit to it too much. I try for a bit, then a few months later, be stopped, then back and forth, just because of all the trauma I've gone through as a kid. And to the point where me and her was going through shit, I was going through shit with my boxing, I was going through just a load of shit in life. And I was just bad. I just didn't want to leave. I just didn't leave my house. I was bare, depressed and down. And 
I just was really upset, yeah, upset individual for a long time. Um, therapy helped me though. My therapist, Josie, man, she really came through for me, man. She uh, connected the dots and I'm far from perfect. I still definitely need to learn a lot more about myself. And But I'd never really been affected by mental health. And I think because I'd not been affected by it, I just kind of ignored stuff for ages. And, and like I said, these was the times I had to have some real honest conversations with myself and it wasn't a nice place to be. And it was a worst place, the worst time of my life. It was even worse than prison and everything this, this like, like last year. But it helped me grow a lot. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think at the time I was lacking on my prayers and stuff religiously. And I feel like whenever I go far from Islam anyway, I, I'm not good mentally. I think mentally Islam is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It gives me purpose. I understand the beauty of it. I mean, if you'd have known me years ago, I'm the last person in the world you'd have thought would be Muslim. I've got an older sister that's Muslim, actually, and I used to take the mick out of her for being a Muslim. And it's like, oh, you brainwashed, look at you. She has like, um, she doesn't wear a burqa, but she has like hijab, like, oh, you little letterbox, this and that. She doesn't even wear the burqa, because I don't even know why um, letterbox was applicable at the time. But I used to rip her, this and that. Then when I turned Muslim, everyone was shocked, like, you hypocrite, this and that. But I said, if I find something I believe to be the truth, I'm not too um, arrogant not to admit when I'm wrong. But yeah, Islam. I'm like I said. I'm not. I'm. I'm. Not, I'm far from a perfect Muslim. I'm not sin, sinless by any means, but I'm trying. Yeah, nobody's perfect, brother. Yeah. How when you started like doing your therapy, I'd imagine you brought everything up that we kind of just spoke about there. How how hard is that when that emotion comes to the forefront that you've kind of suppressed? So it was so the first. So I, I used to see it the year before a couple of times, but the thing is, I wasn't consistent. I just thought. Mm. I wasn't that consistent with it, so I thought it wasn't working. Then when I finished it, I went back and I stayed consistent. I was seeing her weekly. And I'm a, I'm quite a macho man. I don't like to cry or nothing like that. I don't cry. I literally, the, the four years in jail, I didn't cry at all. I just didn't. I'm not someone that really cries. But when she was bringing stuff up and certain things and he was tugging on my heartstrings, I cried a few times in that room. I, it was a long walk back to the car. I remember walking back to the car and it was, but it was good. I needed it. But she was just saying things like, she talk about how, oh, so how do your parents feel? Like when I was going through this shit time, I was like, well, they don't know. There's like, but you see them, they know, like, that's the problem. Like, you're just a boy that wants to be loved. And it's like, you're on your own. And I've spent most of my life by myself in my head. I'm physically, even to this day, I have my son three days a week, but if I'm not with my son, I'm by myself. I see my friends here and there. And I guess I only post when I'm doing something. I don't just post in my room. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a proper loner. I'm a popular loner. Um, but yeah, no, therapy was... She, she helped me a lot, man. I need, I need to jump back on it again soon because I've not been going for a while because I've been, I've been good, to be fair. She's helped me. I have my days and stuff. I definitely still have my days. But I think it's purpose. I have too much free time on my hands and free time, you just sit there, to, you, you have too much time on your hands doing nothing and that's not good for anyone's mental health. That's why I've enjoyed coming up here a lot because it's given me something to do. Yeah, keeping busy. Yeah. Would you ever speak to the family? I would love to speak to the family. I think that they're obviously, they don't want me to get my boxing license back and that's, and I've, the whole time I was never mad at them. I just thought you're with every. If it was the other way around, I probably wouldn't. I was mad at the boxing board, and my and this is a thing that I not touched upon, and I, and um, I want to touch up on it. My probation really didn't do me well at all. So when I first came out, I had a good probation officer, Harjit Sandhu, and he's a really really good probation officer. He tried his best to keep me on. Basically, their job is. To, as a probation officer is to keep someone that's been in prison and give them the chance to give, to make the best of their self, keep them out of trouble. The best thing for me to do is do my boxing, keep out of trouble, stay in the gym, earn a, a legit money and live a good life. He was all for it and the manager was. Then the manager changed to a woman called Charlotte Dunkley and she just didn't like me for some reason. 
She says, you're not boxing. If I find out that you box, you're going to get sent back to prison. I'm going to recall you, this, that, and the other. And I'm just like, what do you want me to do? I have no other trade. You basically, what 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 they wanted me to do was, and then what what they wanted me to do was then go and commit crime and then put me back in prison. Get, commit crime to get money. What do you want me to do? Turn into a burglar or a robber or something. What? Why were you not? It's a legal job. And then what they done was, this is how horrible it was at the time. They, then they changed my... Um, license to say that you're not even allowed to talk about the management of your probation so basically they're saying we're not letting you do none of this and if you talk about let anybody know we're not letting you do this we're going to send you back to prison so people are like they're asking me in interviews why aren't you boxing and i'm like i can't even say it so basically they're treating me like shit in probation they didn't give me no help they never asked me literally for for, for the seven years or seven and a half years i was on license they just basically said been up to anything no not been boxing, you know, um, they couldn't stop me from boxing. See, I found a loophole, luckily. They couldn't stop me from boxing, but they could stop me getting paid to box because it's classed as a job. So I said, all right, then I'm boxing for free. Amateur? No, unlicensed. Mm -hmm. So I had like 13 unlicensed fights. And yeah, I just said, oh, I'm boxing for free then. That's my angle of getting around it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, they just, they just didn't, want the best for me at all I just felt like they was really against me anything I did anything I tried to do to better myself I even even one time when I box I give all my money to this um young little girl she had cancer and I give all my winnings the the, the what I what I what I'd got saved up like and um what ran with a bucket and stuff I met her dad I give it to him signed they even questioned me that I'd not give it her so I said do you think I'm lying about a sick little girl and not, what do you think I've done? Kept the money. So I spoke, they said, well, we want a letter from the parents. I told her dad, her mum was fuming. She wrote a proper stern letter to probation. Like he came, he gave us this amount of money on this date, this, that and the other. I can't believe you even implying this. But they were just not letting me do anything. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I just felt like they was really against me. Not my probation officers, the manager. Um, she was just like, I, I hardly ever seen her because she was like upstairs. She wouldn't even come down much. Or she probably wasn't even there much. But yeah, I just felt probation was hard, man. I just felt like I couldn't wait for probation to finish. I just thought I'm trying to better my life the best way I know how. And none of you lot want to let me do it. Um, and I just refused. I just thought in my head, sometimes I was just close to just going off the rails again, thinking, fuck it, you, you, this is what you want. You're going to get it. And I just thought, I'm not letting you beat me, man. I'm going to become a success and I'm going to make something out of myself. So I just thought it's not going to last forever. And look, it, eventually I'll come off license and I'm a free man. Yeah. So going forward to the future, brother, what's the plans? Yeah, so the plan now is hopefully, bro, to get my license back one way or another. At the minute, I think I'm just going to get a foreign license and fight abroad for the next couple of months. And then while I'm trying to sort this British out, and then, yeah, whether it's a British license or a foreign license, just, just try and just try and get out there as much as I can, get as good few fights in, and just step up the ranks really quickly, really. Um, and just get back on the scene, carry on with my charity, and just... Try and spread some positivity in the yeah. world, man. For anybody that's maybe battling mental health just now, what advice would you have for them? Don't suffer in silence. Um, it's hard, though, as a man, like you know yourself, to ask for help. But like I said, perfect example, Tyson Fury, heavyweight champion of the world. If he's if he's not, if, if he can go for it, then any one of us can go for it. Do you know what I mean? I think it's, I think the good thing about it now is a lot of men are starting to talk about it. And it is tough, man. I just think definitely go and seek advice. Speak to somebody that you can close to. And if there's no one that you really want to speak to around you, then go and see a therapist. Um, go and speak to your doctor. And it's help out there. So make sure you seek it, man, mm -hmm. because 
there's nothing worse than when people take their lives and things like that. I just find it so sad. And what must they be going through to want to do that? Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. there's always there's always light at the end of the tunnel, man. And and you, if you seek help, you'll get through it, man, 100%. If the family that's watching about the kid who lost his life, what would you say to them? I just want them, I, I just feel like, I feel like they might have believed that I had no remorse. And I think... I'd want him to know like how sorry I am and how much this hurts me. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, I can't even explain it to words that like, I have to live with this. Do you know what I mean? And it's hard, man. I just feel, I, I think about them a lot. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like, especially when I'm with my son, my son is my absolute word. I'm absolutely addicted to him. He's the only pure thing I've ever had in this world. And I literally, I'm, I don't leave, I don't put him down. And I just feel like that's what really hit it home for me. When I had my own son, I just thought, Oh, imagine if anything happened to him. Do you know what I mean? And now, knowing I've inflicted that pain on somebody else, it's hard. It's, it's a hard, like I said, it's a hard reality to live with. And I'd want him to know how sorry I am that it had to happen, and that I can't change it and bring him back. But what I can try and do is stop other kids from making the same mistake and putting their family, putting someone else's family, while I put their family through. Yeah. Do you think you could get some sort of peace for that if someone did reach out and see how remorseful you are, and that you're not wanting your license back to? I know you anybody else, it's just the only trade you've got. You've got to feed your own son. Yeah. You've got to put food on the table. Like, like, do you think you, you would never get proper closure for it, but to come face to face with a parent like that, then it would be tough, but it was uh, it would give you some sort of peace of mind like, to say, I forgive you. Like, is that Does that help? I, would help? I think it would be very hard for me to even face him, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like a cowardly of me, but I would do because, but I don't think, I wouldn't blame him if they didn't forgive me. Um, but it would definitely, if I, if I knew that they could see the person that I've become from it, it would give me peace, a bit more peace to think, okay, look, they, they can have some solace in knowing that I'm trying to put some good back into the world. That would, yeah, it'd help a lot, I think. Would you like to finish up on anything, brother? I can't think of nothing now. No, just thanks for having me, but I appreciate yeah. it. And I, I think your platform's amazing. Like I say, I watch your videos and I think you're doing a good thing by letting people, people have an opinion on people, what they read and this and that. And I think this podcast is very honest. It's very open and you get a chance to see the other side of people's lives because I think there's a, there's only one side of a story told. I think no one even knew that there was a negligence in hospital. Nobody knew that how I feel, how remorseful that I had. Mm. People don't know these things. And same with other, other guests you've had on. So I think it's a dead good thing, man. And I hope God keeps blessing it and keeps making it go as Appreciate good as it's going. That, and that's all people can do is express how they feel and think. And other people being the judge of that. Not everybody's ever going to like one person. There's always yeah. going to be hate. There's always going to be love. There's just all different emotions from all around the world. But yeah. I know it would have been tough for you to come on the day and late in the line. Like you probably feel a wee bit drained after this because it's not easy yeah. to put it out there and your story out there. But to create change, create awareness and keep pushing towards being a better you, all you can do is be honest with yourself. Yeah. Everything else is second nature. Like, to come on today and tell your story and, and listen and lay it out there. Like, I wish you all the best for future. I know you. I clash as a friend, brother. And uh, I genuinely wish you all the best for future. You, I hope you get your, your license back. I hope I'm standing ringside one time and you're lifting up the the, the world champion. Yeah, like, nice. I'll back you one million percent. We've Thank all you, got man. a pass. We all make mistakes. But I can only treat people the way they treat me and you treat me with respect. So I'll treat you the exact Don't same, man. brother. Thank so you. Thank you God for having me, you again. Take care, mate. Thank you, bro.
Social Podcast Network.